the ultimate multitasking for the thinking modern marketer. Podcasts that help you future-proof yourself for your career and keep at the cutting edge of knowledge and technique. I'm Diane Young, co-founder of The Drum, introducing the best of debate from industry leaders, brought to you from the buzz of the drum arms at the can line. Pour yourself a pint and slap on some sunscreen to get into the vibe and enjoy our audio brought to you by our friends at Contented. And if you want more, subscribe on thedrum.com. Cheers. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here. My name is Sunu Singh. I'm the associate editor here at The Drum. Welcome to The Drum Arms. It is day three. Seems like day bloody 300. Uh, so thank you, um, uh, obviously, for, for, for surviving. Thriving can as well. Um, Today we're going to be discussing B2B, not the sexiest topic, uh, especially when we're sitting in Cannes, the, the Festival of Creativity, and that's exactly what we're going to be exploring uh, this morning. So can I first of all ask the panellists to introduce yourselves, please? Kate. Hi, so I'm Kate Howe, and I head up our creative and uh, customer experience brands at Dentsu AGS Network. I'm Demi Mangus, and I run IBM IX for the UK and Ireland. I'm Bill Kennerick, I'm the global head of the customer practice at EY. And I'm Johanna Krantz from uh, Reuters, the commercial director for EMEA. So let me start with the easiest question first. Um, a lot of people, I, I, I obviously spend uh, my time talking, that's all I do, to a lot of people. And uh, yes, exactly. Um, and, and when it comes to B2B, there's always this sort of angst. There's always a B2B versus B2C. Uh, and the general notion about B2B is that's quite emotionally stunted. Why is B2B so emotionally stunted? Who wants to go first? So I would have a different view, as always. Um, I, I think it's, I think that's with us rather than with, with the clients themselves. So from an IBM perspective, the majority of our clients are B2B. Um, we would approach them exactly the same way that we would approach a B2C client, right? We would take the same approach in terms of what they're trying to do, what's the need they're trying to meet, what's the human experience we're trying to tap into and channel it through that way, which is exactly the same way we do it, whether we're trying to sell, uh, you know, help you know, a B2C brand sell more lipsticks or a B2B brand sell, you know, create more partnerships to distribute cars. So I think it's, it's for how, we, how we approach it from our mindsets than, than the difference from their side. Bill, you are a B2B brand. Are you emotionally stunted? Not you yourself. <laughs> well, I, am I personally am emotionally stunted. But, but, uh, but, but as it relates to, to your question, I think um, uh, the, the reason, I do think it is emotionally stunted, frankly. And I think the reason is there's so much muscle memory, not unlike in, in marketing and advertising more generally. It's been done a certain way for a really long time. And I think a lot of the legacy of B2B sort of grew up, whether you're selling seeds or you're selling tractors or you're selling you know, hardware or software, has really been about the features and the functionality and the point-to-point -point comparison and differentiation on that basis. The really good marketers have, have historically managed to transcend into benefit case. Um, but I think now it's a lot more than just the benefits. It's the application of those products and more specifically the problems that they can solve. Because I think increasingly the buyers of B2B uh, uh, products and certainly B2B um, uh, uh, marketers are consumed with a high rate of change environment. Uh, and I think now more than ever, in some ways, the opportunity to be more emotionally driven as relates to B2B may even transcend B2B because the, the, the imperative for change on the part of lots of buyers in this way is uh, dramatically different. 
Yeah, and I think I'm actually with Bill on this one. I think uh, it has been emotionally stunted before, um, but it's changing. And I think especially for, for a brand like Reuters, most of our business is B2B. Um, boring to boring, right? It used to be, and now we're kind of moving in a little bit more to actual business to business. But I think in the maybe last five years, it's changed a little bit. And I think digital, for sure, but also social, I think has helped really push yeah. that on because we are all emotional beings and we're all... Yeah do thrive on emotion where that is in a social environment, but for the same product, if you see what I mean? So I'm actually with Bill on this one. Kate, because you were a former client, and then you, you went to what, what we call creative agencies, and then you went to an agency, which is all about B2B. I mean, what, what is the kind of sort of journey uh, that, that you're seeing? And are, are we at that level, as, as the other panelists are saying, that there is that kind of change, perhaps, mm -hmm. that, that we move towards? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting time, because um, I think Generally, we've been talking about the fact that B2B isn't boring, it's actually business to human, and we need to look at human insights, and we need to entertain and inform and connect in the same way that we do with consumer campaigns. We've been talking about that for probably 10 years. I think Gyro was relaunched on that basis at least 10 years ago. What I think has happened is, just as marketers have started to understand that and start to think about how to put it into practice, other things have happened, like uh, the you know, huge emergence of data and the desire to take control of data, the emergence of all of the digital channels, which means that suddenly there's this opportunity to maybe spend less, do much more through digital, reach more people, but of course that way you probably don't emotionally connect in the same way because you're not using channels that enable that. So I think just as everybody's been starting to recognise this is a journey we want to go on, other interesting toys and tools have become available that have perhaps kind of knocked us off track a little bit. And I feel as though it's all starting to come back again and we're, people are kind of getting the understanding that, okay, I can do this with data, I can do this with performance marketing, but I still need to do the brand building piece. Because the... the um thinking still is that, they, that B2B is still all about very corporate, that the decisions are corporate, there's a lot of risk obviously involved because you are selling and buying, it's not, it's, it's not about selling a piece of chocolate for instance uh, and there's, there's very little risk involved in, in, in case of a buyer actually, actually buying chocolate for that matter. I'm just wondering, this thinking perhaps, this notion that B2B doesn't try hard enough is to you know, B2B isn't winning as many creative awards, doesn't need to be seen to be doing better. Also, we don't see enough of the big creative names associated with B2B. Yeah, I would say that um, B2B in a lot of ways has the opportunity to set the pace on the evolution of creativity. Uh, I think one of the things um, we're challenged by is traditional definitions of the idea of creativity. And I think today the application of creativity has to transcend more to things around innovation. So I think as an example, if you think about selling something in the B2B world, let's make believe for a, a second you're John Deere and you're selling tractors, <coughs> or you're Corteva and you're selling seeds. I think in those kinds of examples, you have to say, how, how does the application of the thing I'm selling enhance the life, and in, in many cases, the experience of the buyer? So it puts a lot of pressure on me, in this case, as the marketer, to say, it's not just a matter of the attributes of the product itself, it's the experience that I help that buyer to achieve and to realize as a result of the application of this. And so the opportunity to be innovative and to move into something we might call smart experiences, which is the application of data to better enable the outcomes that the buyers in this environment are trying to achieve as a result of purchasing your product. And so if you can take an experience view, I think you have a much better chance to apply creativity and innovate as opposed to if you take a product-only view. 
Yeah, and I think also we, we talked about this before, but uh, making sure that the, the clients feel empowered by what we do and making an experience as opposed to just getting into the nitty-gritty of the sales products and what they do, but what they can do for you and what that makes you as a, as a, as a client. So empowering them, essentially. Yeah, and building on the point that you were just making there, I think it is, it's as much about helping them identify the additional opportunity that they have in front of them. So John Deere is a great example, right, where they've gone from just selling tractors to basically selling data. Yeah, and that's a real shift that opens up a whole new market for them. Yeah, and I would say that in this case, if you're the, if you're the CMO, uh, I think, and I'll take a, a, a sort of a strong point of view on this, and say the CMO's primary responsibility is no longer to steward the brand in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. The CMO's primary responsibility today is to advocate for the customer in the future design of the company. And as you begin to think about that in, in, in a B2B context, is what, what is the person to whom you're selling trying to accomplish? And how does that degree of understanding influence how the company has to evolve to be a better provider of services and a better provider of outcomes to that person? That's a very different way to think about your primary role and responsibility. Um, what I'm actually hearing is because it is a supplier-buyer uh, relationship, so there is a lot of, sort of internal conversations happening. I would like to see uh, from a show of hands, so John Deere, the, the, um, the is it a truck company? Uh, yes. Tractors. Tractors, yes. Um, I, I wrote about it, so I should know. Uh, 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 this is my first panel of the day, three more to go, so it's fine. Uh, the, uh, the tractor company, how many of you have actually heard of that? Wow. I, I, okay, I am surprised, because my question was, <laughs> really, <laughs> that, that, what, what that backfired. Yes, <laughs> it did, it did brilliantly. But I suppose the question really is, what is the kind of responsibility of uh, people working in the B2B space to be talking loud and proud about some of these case studies, to be talking more about the, 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 uh, the, the value you place on emotions, um, rather than just uh, being obsessed with data and technology. Well, well, I think one thing is uh, we don't really see uh, enough um, awards actually also being um, held for B two B, and if they are, they're really boring and not, nobody comes to them. So we're going back to boring to boring, I guess. Uh, but I think if you submit more um, of your amazing campaigns to awards, they'll be more highlighted. There'll be a lot more people to see it, and I think that's a, a good start in a way. And certainly from, from our side, we've seen a real shift in the way the outcomes they're expecting from the work we do. So rather than it just being implement this tech solution, it's much more outcome driven. How do you drive increase in net promoter score? How are you going to drive additional market presence? How are we going to measure that, et cetera? And you know, these are the kind of conversations that we're having to help them. So it's that what we're doing is really measuring that end impact. And, the, what, and that's a shift. That's definitely a shift. But I think if you take the, the, the John Deere example, I think the more, a more traditional approach would have said, how do I differentiate the attributes of my product or my tractor in this case. But I think you have to understand in this case, the farmer's not really interested in, in buying the tractor. The farmer is interested, thank you. The farmer is interested in improving crop yield, right? That's ultimately the objective and the reason why you make the purchase. So what the farmer cares about is what is the experience that I can design around that objective? And then what can I do as John Deere to better enable that experience so that I'm increasing crop yield? What are the peref what are the adjacent sets of services? How do I begin to design that experience? How do I begin to think about the journey that that farmer is on relative to 
how, how you think about seasonality, how you begin to think about weather, how you begin to think about seed, and how do you design all that. So I think there's a real opportunity for a marketer to be much more experience-driven, or again, as I would say, smart experience-driven, to consider not only that, but all the data that you might gather uh, that the tractor enables because of embed sensors and other things to really help the farmer drive the outcome. And it's ultimately the outcome that matters. It's the classic, I'm not selling film, I'm selling memories. And yes. if you make the mistake of saying you're in the film business, you're probably going to have a pretty short shelf life. I think as well that there is work that has been amazing in our sector. You know, Fearless Girl was a B2B campaign. Obviously, Volvo Trucks was probably our most famous B2B campaign. But the truth is that the vast majority of people aren't thinking about tractors. So because we care about B2B, that's very high on our radar of work that we kind of recognize and respect. And I think we can probably all name half a dozen good campaigns. But the truth is that, you know, the visibility of those campaigns, they're targeted at decision makers for tractors. Yeah. So hence, you know, we don't get the fame that you might get for a, you know, a Cadbury's campaign or a Nike campaign in the first place. So in fact, you know, picking up on your point and, and what you said, uh, Joanna, earlier as well, there are, there are lots of, um, in fact, uh, there are lots of data, there's lots of research, even um, Field and Binet have come up with research actually talking about the effectiveness of work in B2B space and how emotion, love, and not just logic plays a part in, in B2B. I just wonder whether there needs to be more of those. Bless you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you you're allergic to Guinness. Huh? <laughs> uh, whether there needs to be more of that, which needs to be sort of almost data-led, because the, the fact remains that as an industry, advertising as a whole, not just B2B, indeed B2C, I mean, we know the issues around trust, we know the issues around love, we know that no one, no, no one likes advertising. So it's not just a B2B issue, but I just wonder whether there needs to be more research around it that you need to be waving the flag for. Well, I think there's even a bigger potential issue than that, which is understanding who the B2B buyers are today and the next generation of B2B buyers, because um, they're almost certainly millennials. They consume media in an entirely different way. They are, we all know that there's multiple people in the decision-making unit which will be influencing that buying decision, but actually um, the way that those influences uh, have an impact now is almost certainly through social. So then we're looking at how do you do really effective, emotionally connective uh, B2B selling through social. There's a very different way that we need to start thinking, and I think that's a massive opportunity for B2B marketers and, and creatives, because it almost gives us an opportunity to press the reset button and say, how do we connect with this generation of people, which is very different from the ones that went before? They are also the ones that are most likely to be, because they're so digitally savvy, they're the ones that are most likely to install ad blockers, they're the most likely to withhold their data, so we are going to have to rethink. And there's been some debate this week about uh, language choices. How do you think about the word consumer versus the word customer versus the word person? Uh, and I think in B2B, you'd make a terrible mistake, but let's go back to our farmer example, to only see the farmer as a farmer. Uh, that farmer is a human being. That farmer moves through the world, is passionate about things, cares about things. And so there's a real opportunity to better understand the entirety of that person and the application of creativity as a function of seeing that person as a person and talking to that person in more modes than just in the mode of the tractus purchaser or the farmer. Yeah, and on, on, on the back of that, I also think um, there's too little brand awareness campaign um, for B2B because there's no focus on just getting the brand there. It's just literally getting the products across or the, you know, the, the sales at the, at the end of it. So I also think 
linking back to emotional campaigns and personas, if you have a, a, a more of an emotional campaign, which is about branding and who that brand stands for, maybe get a little bit political occasionally, take a stand for something, um, I think we can move into more sexier, if you want, um, territory for B2B, and also get more uh, recognition for it. Yeah. So pick, picking up on, the, on, on that point, and also, uh, Bill, what you said earlier, I'm, I'm slightly curious about the kind of, what are the, the challenges when it comes to talent in the B2B industry? Uh, is it quite challenging to attract the talent or the right kind of talent to B2B, uh, especially creative talent, or, or do you think there are more opportunities than challenges when it comes to, uh, to seeking that talent out? Um, I think there's more opportunities than challenges, and I think you could make an argument that said the B2B marketer is going to rise in importance and influence over time beyond what is the case today. Because it goes back to the point I was making about the evolution of the role of the chief marketing officer. And I think a B2B marketer is probably going to engage in more things as relates to the functional workings of the company they represent than might be the case because of the pressure to behave historically for more traditional B2C or brand-led marketing. Uh, so I think the, 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 a B2B marketer is, I think, a, a fascinating and really important training ground for the evolution of the function over time. Uh, so I think, uh, like anything, it's a matter of, of your, your pitch to attract the talent, but I think the opportunity to learn and grow in B2B, in many cases, might outclips what exists in other segments. I certainly think the, the angle you talked about earlier around creativity takes a different lens in B2B, right? You, you talk much more about creativity within innovation, which, which not only is how do you reach your audience, but also how do, might you disrupt your existing ecosystem, your, your, uh, your existing delivery model, right? And, and potentially create new channels which, you know, change the way that they can market their products. Um, so I think that that's a really attractive proposition because it's bringing together all of those different true creatives with all that tech, with all that data to, to break new ground. Sorry, John. No, that was, that was it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think if you're attracted to work in the marketing and comms industry per se, then actually the challenges you get to work on are equally exciting in B2B, if not more so than they are in B2C. And if you can convert a buyer to a £50,000, you know, $100,000 purchase, that's actually a massive achievement. And it's a harder thing to do than to get to someone to spontaneously buy something which is low value and disposable and, you know, nothing changes if they do or don't make that decision. And I think the more we attract the people into the B2B marketing industry who really understand that and take pride in their ability to do that, the better we'll actually do. No, I, I was just going to build on that on, on that point. And, and not to compare uh, marketing for, say, laundry detergent versus marketing for aircraft engines or marketing for tractors. But I think in a lot of ways, the opportunity to change the world uh, exists more for a B2B marketer than it might for a B2C marketer, right? Um, if you can increase crop yield, you can feed the hungry. Right, if you could better, if you could, if you could better um, move air transport through the application of aircraft engines, you can solve a mobility challenge. And so there's a huge opportunity to have impact beyond what might traditionally be the case um, in, in certain, certainly in certain B2C yeah, segments. Absolutely. And I, I suppose the question there is that in terms of the, uh, and, and Kate, you and I have often talked about it, in terms of the, uh, the, the sort of conundrum that marketers have at this moment, that they want to sit right at the top table and be with the decision makers. B2B marketers are actually doing that. Um, do we need to champion that a bit more so that the tags are being boring and ugly, all of those, those come off at some point? 
Um, are, are we not championing enough? Because those B2B marketeers like yourselves, Bill, are already sitting on, on the top table and making, making uh, some strong business decision make, uh, decisions that B2C marketeers would kill for. Yeah, I think I think yes. I think we probably probably do need to, to, to champion a little bit more. And as even as we think about it, go back to my sort of purpose point. Um, if I put my EY hat on and say one of the things we care passionately about is building a better working world, and so you elevate the application of the role we can play as we move our services and our capabilities into the into the marketplace at the at the highest at the highest standard. At the same point. We also talk an awful lot about, which I think is important um, to this conversation as relates to the future of a B2B marketer, is this idea that a route to the future fundamentally starts with just asking better questions. How do you begin to allow the exploration of the curiosity to sort of guide you to a different place? And I think we don't do as good a job of indulging the application of our curiosity because we're too focused on being the, the appliers of our own expertise, in particular in B2Bs. You have to know something. And the fact that you then know something means you have intrinsic value. And I think in many ways, it's, it's knowing something that actually erodes your value. It's exploring your curiosity and asking better questions that allows you to contribute to it. So I think this is a petri dish for exploration in a way that doesn't exist. And I do think we can do a better job of making sure people see it that way, uh, for sure, to your point. But I think it's an enormous opportunity. So I suppose we need to do a uh, drum awards for a beat marketers. Do we have one for that? Uh, oh, for marketers. Gordon is not here, so uh, maybe, maybe that's an idea we can plant in his head as well. Sorry, and, you know, no, I was going to say that is a good idea, and I think yeah, to actually, you know, promote people within the industry is always going to make a again coming back to emotion and, and personalising B two B. So that's a tip. And I think you're building on that point that the, you know, one of the things that B two C brands do really well is is create chatter, not necessarily about their products, but around the impact that that brand has in society, in the world at large, right? The, the latest Apple advert that I saw, you know, it's not advertising any particular product. It's just showing the impact that Apple has and how pervasive it is across the music industry. So you then end up thinking that basically Apple run all music, right? Um, and B2B brands don't do that yet, but actually they're doing much more of how they're shaping society. And I think that's a, that's a missed opportunity that, that we need to tap into in terms of having that. You know, John Deere is an example. You don't see an advert on the telly as a consumer to understand the impact that John Deere as a brand is having on what I've got on my plate. Yeah, and I think going get back to, like I said earlier, um, say do a, a Nike, but for B2B, when you take a stance and whether you take the knee or not, for example, in America, and I know they said they weren't going to sell any um, shoes or the brand at the back of it. So many people were opposed to it, so they actually went out to buy the shoes to burn them. So the products actually worked, I mean, in branding. But I mean, I don't know, I think B2B can definitely become a little bit more engaged with that, and I think too many B2B brands have been too safe and too shy to actually take a stand or to, to, to engage on a more an emotional or political level, however political you want to be. But I think, Bill, what do you feel about that, you know, brands, B2B brands taking some kind of that social, political responsibility? Well, I think certainly uh, uh, B2B brands engaging in a conversation around purpose and higher order idea than the attributes of the product itself, for sure. And I do think B2B brands have got a real opportunity because I think increasingly products are de decreasing in their importance in the marketplace and experiences are replacing products in the hierarchy of what matters most to buyers. And I do think that, that B2B can sort of lead in that area. And I think a way to do that 
is to really elevate to a conversation around, around purpose. Whether or not you, could, you should choose to take a political stance, I'll let others debate that particular point. But I do think elevating the conversation to be purpose-driven and take a larger platform than simply the, the attributes of the brand or the product, even, um, even as relates to the experiences that can be designed to the benefit of the buyer and the ultimate purpose that gets realized through the application of those experiences, I think that's an enormous opportunity. Kate, you have worked with enough B2B clients who are doing the purpose-driven marketing internally, things like sustainability, for, for instance, and share some of your, those experiences. Yeah, I and mean, I was actually just thinking that there's two sides to this as well, because, not to directly answer your question, actually, but the um, a lot of a lot of B2B clients aren't actually looking to do mass marketing. And so if you are building, I don't know, 3D printers that you sell at $100,000 a go, actually, you can only manufacture, you know, hundred of those of the year so therefore you want to sell a hundred you pretty much definitely know who you want to sell them to and you're probably not selling them one each you're probably selling them six with all the peripherals as well so if you've got that done job done so you actually don't need to go out with some kind of what we might think is quite sexy creative campaign that just doesn't fill your business needs it's not your objective and that is not what success looks like for you and your organization um, so I think we have to be really thoughtful around what it is we're actually judging the creativity on I but, I mean, to get close to your question, I saw some research this week where the, it was mostly talking to consumer marketers who were saying that they didn't feel that uh, brand purpose was something that they could directly influence. They thought as CMOs that was more of a business strategy uh, that sat somewhere else in their organisation and not with them. And yet they did feel responsible for driving growth. And I thought that was interesting because in the, all the B2B experience I've had, I've always seen marketers feel like purpose is absolutely part of their area and their responsibility. And that's coming back to marketers being at the top table in B2B. I think what is really interesting is you don't get to the top table just for the sake of being there. You, you want to be there because you want to have influence. And if you believe you can, you can have influence, you can change things. It was quite interesting to me to see that a lot of consumer marketers just don't think they've got the influence to be able to do that. And just to build on, build on that point, I, and I'm going to say something that I don't really mean it, but I'll just for the purposes <laughs> of making a point, is that strategy is a dangerous idea. Uh, and I think purpose is a much more important idea. And if you're, you're, you're a marketer, I do think the opportunity to elevate the conversation to purpose. And the reason I say this is we're living in a very high rate of change environment. And in a high rate of change environment, strategy has a shelf life. It's only going to serve you so well for so long. Then some condition in the world is going to change and it's going to render that strategy irrelevant. A focus on purpose gives you a lot of elasticity in your thinking to pivot to new ideas that are consistent with the long-term objectives and goals and consistent with the realization of your purpose, but may invalidate a strategic choice. So I do think it's the, an opportunity for a marketer, certainly a B2B marketer, to make sure that we continue to pound this idea of purpose and its role in steering the company to a better and more prosperous future, because it's purpose that's going to enable that, much more so than any particular strategic choice at a moment in time. I guess so the only thing I would build on that is to that there will be different approaches depending on the size of the B2B organization, right? So, so in my experience, the, the huge global B2B organizations are often more trepidatious about engaging in a conversation around purpose, right? Because it opens up a dialogue that they potentially don't want to get into. They, you know, and you were seeing a shift. So you're seeing oil and gas companies who have traditionally stayed well out of the conversation now really getting involved with the conversation about climate and, and green energy and social responsibility. And, and so I think, 
you know, the tide is turning. I think that the, the pressure on them to make to make a stand is is here and now. Um, but I think it comes with a big health warning within the organisation of what they're going to say, how they're going to engage. And they're also not set up to support it, right? You talked about social. They're not then ready to respond. So they can put something out there, but they have to be ready to then respond to that reaction. Yeah, I think it has to be an organisational shift, not a, a marketing shift. And I guess it's driven by sort of an ESG perspective on, on the one side, but then bringing it back to millennials, it's also the fact that um, they expect you to be a good company doing good business and doing good things in the world. And so you do need to be able to tell that story. And that's why I think it then comes back to being something marketers have to feel they can own and have an influence over. And again, I think that's why being in B2B is actually a very exciting place to be because you've got a lot of potential to do that that doesn't necessarily exist for you in some of the larger consumer brands. I was just going to make a counterpoint on the, on, on the size, although I would agree with you. Um, but at the same point, if you look at the, the startup world, the failure rate's enormous, right? 70% of all, all startups fail. And one of the things is you engage in that community, you hear the term pivot a lot. Right? I did something today, I'm going to pivot to this new thing. And so what is the role and the application of purpose to enable your ability to pivot? Uh, and I, there was a point in time in my life that I worked for a small company that ultimately became a big company. Uh, and we focused an awful lot at the time on, on our purpose, in large part because we understood that whatever choice we might make in the moment might not serve us well. And you begin to design your culture, which is, I think, another role that a, that a B2B or any CMO for that matter can play, is the design of the culture to enable your purpose, to facilitate a conversation, to realize some, some vision in terms of the, 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 the role you play in the world and in the marketplace. So I think purpose can go from a two-person company to a 20,000 or 200,000-person company. It's just as important. I, I would like to open the floor to two questions because we've, we've had some really interesting uh, points raised here. So, oh, okay. <coughs> no, 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 we're recording this, please. So, if you can say who you are and where you're from, thank you. Hi, I'm from uh, Bank of New York, Malin. Um, agree about the purpose and especially about consistency. EY is doing it really well. I've been with the company three and a half years ago when it all started, so great. Um, any particular tips on where to start develop when you're developing the purpose? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I think I think a couple of things. Number one is, uh, and we see tension in this particular uh, choice right at the at the gate. Is you have to choose your time horizon. If you choose your time horizon incorrectly, you're going to make bad choices because your your, your purpose will become a, a mission statement. And a mission statement is something that you can touch and feel, and it has a timeline, and it's achievable in a way that you can envision. Purpose has a much loftier long term. So I think the first thing you do is start there. I think the second thing is you really have to interrogate uh, the fundamental reason of why you exist in the world. You know, why do you get up and go to work every day? What are you hoping to enable? And then you have to source that conversation very broadly throughout the organization and allow for it to get messy. Uh, a lot of times what we see is clients will make mistakes about trying to make this neat because what they're really trying to do is execute some sort of an internal communications campaign, which is really different than trying to design and build and facilitate a shift to purpose. So pick your time horizon, crowdsource it, really question and interrogate the ultimate reason why, and the less tangible that you can make it, uh, in many cases, the better, as long as it's consistent with your ultimate reason for being. Uh, yeah, and, and aligned to your core brand values and your, and your organizational culture, right? So to build it, you know, your crowdsourcing point, if you don't, if you don't have everybody on board, you, you, might, you might make a start on this, you get some backlash, and then you know, another part of the company 
tells you to double down and run in the other direction. And uh, and I, we've seen quite a lot of that recently, and I think that's that's almost worse than not starting. Yeah, you need to get all on board on, on the journey. I mean, coming from the top, clearly, but if you don't um, infiltrate um, and get people to help you on the way, it's, you know, it's a no-go, I'd say. Uh, we've got another question. Yes. Yeah, hi. Goldman. Um, I'm with Intel. If this is really working, um, hi. <laughs> My name is Billy Goldman. I'm with Intel, and uh, I do uh, cloud service provider uh, marketing, uh, and uh, uh, B2B is is what I live and breathe. Um, and I'm incredibly disappointed uh, to not hear you guys talk about account-based marketing and the long uh, purchase journey, and that it's not a and that it's not a single buyer, that it's a buying party that you're actually trying to influence. And I call total bullshit on uh, that 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 you can actually market to them as you. Before I ask the panelists to actually uh, address that question, thank you. Uh, I, I do. I do want to say that. Uh, remember, this uh, panel is not here to set the world to right. We only have 30, 35 minutes, uh, so I wish we could go on for the rest of the day. There, there are far too many um, themes and topics to address. I, uh, I understand that, uh, and this panel is here, and the panelists are here to trigger and provoke some thoughts. Uh, so, which is the reason why we open the floor to questions. So, thank you for the question, and they can now address that. Well, I'd say thank you, first of all. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's fair feedback and it's a good point. Um, and I can't speak for anybody else, but I can only tell you what was in my head when I made the point about seeing the buyer as a person. Because independent of, of the choices you might make, the role that analyst relations might play, the role, uh, the role that writing white papers, the role that content creation, the role that, that references and influencers might play, obviously all of this matters. But at the end of the day, the person sitting across the table from you, whether it's one or five, is a person. Uh, and I think one of the mistakes that you make, and I've been in B2B marketing for a long time, is to fail to see that person as a person and only see them as a representative of their organization. So I think you have to be able to, to move in, in multiple modes and in dual modes. But I think your, I think your, your, your feedback's great, and it's a, it's, it's a fair point, and it's a, a big and important debate, and we should keep at it. I mean, I would agree that account-based marketing is, is a huge channel, right? And is the primary, and, and, but if you pick that, Back, that comes down to a relationship between an individual and two or multiple individuals that's built over time that builds trust based on the content and the depth that you bring, which which builds on all of the points that we're making, right? Which is you're building a, a relationship, you're seeing the whole person, you're tapping into what they're motivated by, and you're making it relevant, right? So I agree, these things take time, um, but I, but I do think it, it, it both are true. Yeah, and I think coming back to the question is a great question. I got to be scared first, but I think... Um, yeah. Thank you for I, that. I, yeah. That makes two of us. Yeah, I do think that um, obviously you, ha you have to do account-based marketing, but I think it has to be in conjunction with brand awareness, and that is 
on a top level, so you meet people as people, and then when they go to buy the products, yes, they do um, need more details, they do want product service and everything else, but I think it has to be a combination of, of the two. Okay. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, with respect, I think we did talk about the fact that we know there's a DMU, and I think we did talk about the fact that we understand that different people will influence each other in different ways through different channels, probably in the future than they have in the past. But, you know, completely agree that if you only give them the rational message, that's probably not going to be enough. Now, that could be complemented with direct one-to-one, face-to-face sales experiences where the, the human connection is actually happening directly through really strong sales directors. But it could also be through some kind of wider form of storytelling. And I think what we've been trying to unpack a bit today is the extent to which you can really achieve that in B2B and whether there's a, a need to do more of it. Um, and certainly the, the um, Binet and Field research that we briefly referenced suggests that there is an opportunity to do that. But like all categories, you know, B2B is, is we've got very vastly different brands and, and um, products that are being sold at vastly different price points to vastly different audiences, just like we have in the consumer world. So I think every um, every case has to be looked at individually as to what's the smartest thing that can deliver the best outcomes for that individual brand at that moment. And I may, I may just make one, one other point is, is I think in the, in, in the B2B world, obviously marketing is a more obvious complement to the sales process. Uh, and having been around B2B selling, I think that the surest way to be unsuccessful in that world is to demonstrate a distinct lack of empathy in the sales process. To understand what the person is trying to accomplish as a result of making a choice to buy or not buy your product. And I think if you, do, if you can't bring empathy to that conversation, you might actually build a great brand. You're probably not going to sell too much of anything. Uh, so I do think understanding the person being empathetic in the process of engaging that person is going to really matter. But also helping them understand their customers, right? And, and how they're going to reach them as people rather than just as brands themselves. Hi there. Uh, Scott Kerr from Invent, New York City. Um, Question for you, in, in the live event spaces where we live, B2B is the holy grail. Um, but we find it odd that only until recently have marketers started to pay attention to the B2B events. It's always the communications team or the head of sales. And it seems as if the conversations that are starting to be driven in live event space need to be two-way. So the, treating them more like people. How do we fix, though, the fact that it still feels like the marketers treat the B2B events is a secondary thing, and there needs to be maybe more communication across the teams to help do what you're talking about, deliver a better message. Can you give an example when you say a live event, but what kind of event, just so we can set it in context? Can. Is well, Can an example? No, no, okay. no, 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 more of the B2B type of events in, in the live, live event space, a corporation having a more of a, a conversation in a B2B event where it's not open to the public or it's not open to consumers. It's more of a conversation that's happening between the buyers and, uh, and, and the product and the brand. So anything from like a, a I don't know, breakfast club to a, a huge speaking event like this or? Trade shows, right? You're talking about trade shows. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, and more, more things that aren't open to this to me is a wider range. This, we're not speaking to the to the B two B situation. Um, trade shows are a very good point. So I mean, I would. I think there's two things. One is um, you. We have. I, I've observed certainly that historically it's been quite an open gap between marketers in B two B and the sales teams. 
and actually anything you can do to bring marketing and sales together to get them talking to each other because I've observed so many situations where the marketing team have really good intentions, they really care and they really want to do the very best but somehow what sales need from them and what they're producing just isn't quite the same and it's right. not connecting. So I think there's a huge opportunity still to close that gap and make sure, we, you know, certainly at Gyro we always sought to bring those two groups together within our client base and make sure we were collectively workshopping the best outcomes. The other thing is I think there is a huge opportunity for marketers to influence those kinds of events. And we used to talk about, well, Gyro still does talk about something we called Steal the Shows which was understanding that actually a lot of the ROI, because a lot of B2B marketers spend more money on trade shows and events than anything else, right? So there's, but you, you can get a bigger return on your investment if you actually think about the customer journey pre and post the event. So whether that's buying all the digital outdoor on the journey from the station to the event, or whether it's you know buying up some of the collateral and things that you can do to make sure that you're collecting data at every point, um, there's a huge opportunity to do so much more than just when people get to your stand or, or get to your meeting place to ensure that your brand's really dominating and, and the smart marketers know you don't have to spend a lot of money to do that really well. Thank you for saving my question. <laughs> uh, is there one last question? Uh, well, if there isn't, um, I, um, I always knew that I had a, a fierce uh, and, and quite fiery a set of panelists. Uh, so, but the first panel of the day to have a really interactive uh, and brilliant set of audience as well. Thank you very much for that. So thank you not just to, the, to my wonderful panelists, but to the audience as well. And our commercial director, Fergus, is over there. So bigger, better B2B awards and events. B2B Marketer of the Year. Uh, yes, B2B Marketer of the Year. That's the man to go to. So you go and talk to him and hopefully in, in partnership with, with, with Reuters uh, next as well. With that, um, really a huge thank you to the audience, but even more than that, can we have a round of applause for the panelists? <laughs>